Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Hello and welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran. Springboard is your most inspirational show and the place where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse and the Enterprise Group with media support from the multimedia group and the graphic business. Today we come back into the engine room with a woman I call a dreamer and a doer. He wears several different hats as a campaigner, as a strategist, as an entrepreneur, a coach, and a queen mother. Of course, an agribusiness consultant. So she's a CEO of African Brand Warrior, recently voted the CEO of the year. But who exactly is Fatima Ali Mohammed? Fatima, welcome to Springboard. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm sure I haven't received so many awards. This particular one had a special place for you. Um, it did, obviously. I mean, this is my first, um, I would just say, award in Ghana from an executive level. I have received quite a few in the FMCG space and stuff like that. Um, but most of my awards have always been international. But this was special in the sense that I was put you know, um, in comparison to other CEOs in Ghana that I look up to, um, you know, homegrown, and obviously majority of them are running multinationals. And here I am, just this little person, you know, so to be on that kind of platform meant something, that I'm on the right trajectory. Your story is of great interest to not just myself, but also our viewers and listeners as well. And there are several components we'd like to explore, but let's start with where did it all begin? Did you always dream about being an entrepreneur? I'm not a dreamer, so that's the first thing. I don't dream, I just do things. All right. Um, secondly, I just go with the flow. So if anybody asked me, did I ever have a plan? I never had a plan. I came back, um, as you're aware, I'm from Kenya, I'm a Kenyan. And uh, studying in the UK, I came back home and um, obviously had a really job. Uh, got into it, got thrown into the advertising field and you know, you move along, you're getting a salary and as you go along, you meet different people um, and one thing moves to the other, moved into the corporate world from there and then before I knew it, I continued to be in corporate and then one day I just woke up because you reach a point where obviously life and you know, things that happen around you um, make you want to to question things, things that may not sit well with you as an individual, 
uh, morally or, you know, in terms of your character. And I just decided, but interestingly saying that in 2015, I was interviewed for a magazine and I came across that magazine a couple of uh, months ago when I went back home. And in that interview, I said two things. One was that I was going to, in fact, three things I said. I said one was I was going to set up my own company many years down the line. I don't know where, but it's definitely not going to be in Kenya. Secondly, I said I was going to win a UN award. And uh, third, I said I was going to work with Forbes um, companies. And um, obviously, uh, and yes, yeah, sorry, and I said I was going to be a queen. So I came to Ghana. And this is things that were written, I, I, I spoke of, not knowing that it was going to come to manifest. I came to Ghana, obviously didn't come and become the Queen of England, but I became the Queen in two uh, stooled areas. And then um, the recent award was actually sponsored by the Spanish Embassy and the United Nations. So that's got me closer to the UN award that I was thinking of. And uh, here I am, you know, running my own organization and my first client was actually a Forbes company because it was McDonald's and I was approached to do something for South Africa. So those tick boxes have been done. But again, I just do what I need to do. Um, I get called, I get pulled into things and I never, my, I think biggest trait is I never say no to anything. I just go and even if I don't know how to do it, I will learn and do it. As a leader, what, what values do you hold dear? Integrity. Apart from, apart from not saying no to Integrity. For me, integrity is is crucial. Um, and I think that also probably led why I had to quit working for a corporate and moving into doing something of your own. Um, so integrity obviously sits above everything else. And the second is passion. You know, you've got to love what you do. It's not about doing what you love, but actually loving what you do. And I love what I do. And whether it's a hat of um, working with young um, women or, and youth or working with hubs or going and speaking at engagements or putting my heads on in terms of doing strategy or fighting uh, for any policies or advocacy, I go in, you know, with no fear. So it will be integrity and passion. Those are the two things. If I run the two, which one would you? Integrity. I mean, you can't do anything without your spine being straight and knowing that um, no matter what gets thrown at you, you're not going to sway. You're, you're going to go in. I read a survey of 500 of the top leaders in business across the world choosing their preferred value. Interesting, integrity stood out as number one. It is. I think because everyone's trying to do something, but because the world has become such a place where everything has to be a shortcut, and everybody is trying to achieve whatever they need to achieve. I mean, like I think if we look at the situation today, if we look at the two wars that are happening, integrity is the reason that it, it, it's taking place because even the people, the bodies that are supposed to be running, you know, the world, they have no integrity to choose which side to support and which not. So if integrity is never in place, nothing works. What would you call the biggest turning points in your life? as a person? When I had a brain stroke. Tell me about it. Sorry about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not sorry about it. Everything happens for a reason. Um, I was going through various things in life personally. My father was terminally ill. I remember traveling with him. I was told he had only three months to live. I had just found out. At the time I was finding that out, I didn't realize I was pregnant. I had only been married like four, four months or five months. Um, so I got pregnant um, immediately after two or three months 
Um, but at that time when I was traveling with him, I didn't even know I was pregnant. All I just knew I was feeling sick and everything. Uh, came back uh, home, now knowing that I have a parent that I'm being told will only have three months to live. At the same time, my ex-husband decided that I need to abort the child because it was too soon to be having um, a baby. And then, you know, when you're in a corporate environment, you have stress and everything. So you take your personal stuff, you just carry it on your back and you go to work to try and do whatever you can do because it's very difficult being a woman, having a child, and then having to come in with excuses as it's seen that, oh my God, I've got, look, I've got a, a sick father or my child is going to be alone. Um, I need to manage. So, oh, I'm sorry, I can't travel because I've got to leave the, the baby alone. I never allowed any of those things to come in as an excuse, nothing. But obviously it takes a toll at one point and then my body just gave in and I had a, a brain infarct. But interestingly, I was in hospital, I think, for two weeks. And as soon as I got out, I think I got out on a Friday. I was back at work on Monday, even though I didn't. I wasn't able to fully uh, use my, my left side of the body. But I was back at work only because I didn't want anyone to point a finger or have, you know, a, a say to say that she's not able to. And now she's got all these other challenges and whatever. So I've never given anybody that opportunity. And I think that's what made me hard, made me have a thick skin and also as much as we say, I mean, I'm not a feminist in the sense that feminism right now is being seen more about men bashing, but I support women um, because I am one, I understand the challenges, but at the same time, it is only fair to say that as a woman, there are certain things that people feel will make you softer and make you a target, you know, for not being given a seat at the table. So I'm the kind of person, don't give me a seat at the table, I'll create my own table. In all these, from the turning point and from the opportunities that you have seized, what was the biggest takeout or the biggest lesson that you, you've carried out I that think, has guided you? You know, just all of us have challenges. Everybody has problems, whether it's personal, professional, whatever. But you can't let that weigh you down. You can't let that hold you down. I mean, at the end of the day, I have a 21-year-old daughter in university studying overseas. I've got to make sure she goes through it right? She's my responsibility. I've got rent to pay. I've got uh, salaries to pay. So you've got to keep going. Um, I think we've reached a situation where everyone, and it's not intentional, but everyone is mourning and crying about lack of everything. But we don't realize how grateful we should be to be able to know that there's a lot of other things that, you know, happen by default. So it's just the strive to say get up and go and just do what you need to do have you ever faced rejection in fact it was very interesting um and this is the only time i really felt very disappointed was um at some point last year i was supposed to be taken on a project i work with various organizations that i get pulled in for the first time the person came to me and said fatima you were not selected to be a mentor on this program because they're looking for an African. And I said, sorry, what do you mean? I'm an African. And uh, he said, no, what I meant is they're looking for a black person. I was taken aback because I have never seen myself anything else than being an African. And it really bothered me. It disturbed me to the point I was like, look at all the stuff that I do for my people, you know, whether it's building schools or whatever. I've had to cross seas to come into Ghana to be stooled as a queen mother to help people because that's what God has destined me to be. So why am I being judged for, and it's never happened to me in my entire career to be told that, you know, I was 
not picked for something because of my skin color. You're not black enough. And it, it really, yes, and it really, that was the first time that I, I was very down. Um, I actually had to go in for therapy because it made me question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it really worth it? And then I just realized this probably might have just been one person's opinion. Um, it may not necessarily have to be, and I did confront the organization thereafter. And they told me, um, Fatima, we don't recall having this kind of conversation, but if it did happen, then, you know, we apologize. But it made me really question a lot of things about myself and what I do. What did you take out of it? I continue doing what I have to do, and I will let the naysayers say, because at the end of the day, you can heckle, you can say whatever, but if you're not making a difference, you're not impacting people. You're not bending down and lifting people up. That is between you and your God. I will continue to do what I do. Let me ask about recognition and awards. The awards will come from external bodies, from people who validate your work. But for you, what, what are the proudest moments? To be honest, I don't think I've reached there. I, people keep thinking, I mean, I try to tell people having an award and all that, it, it humbles me. Yes, with all due respect. I believe there are other people that are doing greater stuff than I. They just probably haven't been seen. They've not been recognized. Maybe they're not good at putting themselves out there. I mean, I'm a social media person, so I, I put everything that I do. I have no skeletons in the cupboard, you know. Um, and I put it out there because I always believe that that's how you inspire somebody else to actually go out there and do what they do need to do. So there are definitely people who are doing better than I am, honestly, who deserve a lot more. They probably haven't been given the limelight. But that being said, I'm still waiting for something. I don't know what it is where I really can say that, you know, this really has recognized what I have stood for and everything else. If there's one thing that I feel great about is when my daughter turned 21 a couple of months ago. And I think for two, three days, it really affected me. And then I realized for the first time that I never knew how I was going to take her through school. I never knew how I was going to get her through uni, but I did it. And I created a human being and I created an adult and she's in her final year. So I think for me, that is my moment of success. My moment of success is knowing that I've been able to be there for my parents until the time my father died and taken care of all his medical bills and you know, not made sure that he's never had to spend a penny of his own. And I do that with my mother and obviously I have my siblings. So for me, that is success. I don't own a house in my name. I don't own a car in my name. I don't own any um, things that people define as your measure of success. I don't, because that's not where am I taking any of that stuff. I find that people who have done significant stuff in the corporate world cite parenting as their most fulfilling accomplishment. And watching you, I saw the light in your eyes. I'm the first time. Yeah, no, I saw, <laughs> the, the, the light just came on. And, 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 and it humbles me when I see that because there's some authenticity about what they are saying. It's not, it's not made up. Yeah. Help me to appreciate it. I'm a very family-oriented person. Yeah. Uh, my, my world revolves around family and friends. And when I say friends, friends who are like family. Um, I don't take those things very lightly. And uh, we all have a purpose on this earth, right? And we have to also appreciate that we have an ancestral lineage that we owe, you know, a lot to. Um, I am what I am today because of my parents. And that is not something that I can run away from. I always say, even for me sitting here, my mother's prayers have reached here before I have. And I say that for everything that I, I do. 
and uh, having to be given the opportunity to raise a human being. Children only come through you, they don't belong to you, right? Not everybody has been gifted um, to have a child. And then there are those who have been gifted to have a child, but they cannot be a parent. So there's one thing about being a mother or father, but being a parent is a totally different ball game altogether. Um, so to be given the custody by God to be able to raise a human being with the right morals, the right values in a world that is very cruel, that a world that is all about illusions, um, a world that um, is all about money and greed, right? It's about overcoming one and the other. I think the role a parent plays is very, very significant and it's the closest role you can play to God. I've heard you mention God five times. How big is faith oh, in, the, in your mental construct? How big is faith for you? I'm actually a Hajia. I've been to Hajj. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. But I don't say it openly because I don't think I live the life um, as piously as one is. I mean, we're all sinners in, in our different ways. I do hope that someday I will get to that point where, you know, where wearing the hijab or whatever else. But um, I believe in God, regardless of what uh, religion it is. Um, I believe you've got to believe in something that is um, greater than you, um, uh, whether it's an energy, whatever else it is that has put you on this earth for a purpose and has the right to take you back. So I am not religious, I'm spiritual. I do believe in God and I believe in everything that I do, um, whether good or bad, uh, that I go through in my journey, it is written um, by God. This is Springboard of Virtual Investing. My guest, Fatima Ali Mohammed, she's been voted recently as CEO of the year. She has a number of interests that I'm trying to unpack in the engine room today, trying to find out her trials, her triumphs, her the things that keep her alive. And I've been telling her so far that the, the lights came on best when she spoke about her daughter and, and it was just beautiful to behold. Fatima, so when you wake up in the morning, what's on your mind when you wake up in the morning? What's the thing that occupies you most when you wake up? The first thing, I, you know, I don't, I don't go to my phone. I've learned to say, the first thing I've got to say is, thank you, God, that I've woken up because human beings are just interesting characters. You know, we set an alarm on our phone thinking that it is the alarm that's going to wake us up. So we put so much more faith on that than in God. So the first thing I do is obviously say, um, thank you, God. And then I have this thing where I sort of have an affirmation to say, I'm going to have an amazing day. I'm going to make a difference for myself and I'm going to make a difference for the people around me. And that gets me started. Um, for the day and then I'm up and about but I don't have then a plan. I go with the flow. Whatever comes for the day, so be it. For somebody who is very steeped in strategy, I'm struggling to reconcile this statement you've made twice that I don't have a plan. I go with the flow. Please explain to me. There is no, even a strategy, there's, people think that having a strategy means that you've got to put all your ducks in a row and all that. But then that means you're being very calculated in terms of what it is you want to do. Strategy is supposed to be very fluid, right? 
Now, I work in the space of business and marketing strategy. And a lot of times you will see when you're talking to organizations or companies with brands or whatever, they have a focused approach to what is it that they want um, people to feel for the brand, you know, how they must resonate with it. Keeping out every emotional aspect, every psychographic aspect of the end user, the consumer. So we go and we plan and we say, okay, the person's age is this, this is what we, income level, blah, blah, blah. But all that's changed. I mean, you can have a person having a corporate job, but at the same time, they also have a hustle. Now, if you're going to come in as a National Bureau of Statistics, you're gonna come, who's the head of the house? How much is your income? What is your age bracket? But that is not true anymore because the person also has a side job. The person probably also has a fixed deposit. The prob probability the person is earning something else. We're not taking all that into account. So when you're creating a strategy, you're creating it based on the limited view you have of this person. Secondly, um, you talk about the kind of knowledge that people have. We again want to go based on people's degrees or you know X Y Z. What you're doing, the Open University, is is that, isn't it? It's about opening up minds. Yeah. There's a difference between being educated and being knowledgeable. They're two different things. It's like I say, there's a difference between seeing and observing. There's a difference between listening and hearing. Yes. So I, that's why I say I don't conform. I, I do not fall within, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thing, um, a, a gentleman called Mr. Allah who worked, he's an Egyptian, um, and through Strands of Pearls in Ghana have been running this and they do it every year and it's called True Colors. And when I run, ran into that program, I quit my job after a couple of days in that. And the reason I set in, it's an, it's an exercise that they do and um, they get you to pick based on colors. So you, you know, there are four colors they run. And I turned out to be an orange and orange people apparently were so few in the world we don't conform to structure. And one of them happened to be Obama. So I was like, yeah, okay, this is excellent. <laughs> because we're not the kind of people, and now I understand it better because um, I'm not the kind of person I want to go into a job and be told, do this, do this, and it's got to be done by this time. I don't work like that. I've got to be sparked. I've got to feel uh, what it is I want to do. So for me, strategy is how have I impacted the person that I intend to get whatever it is I want to get out of. And more so now, I think for me, anything that I work with right now, I'm not interested with working with brands, organizations that are not going to take the hard challenges and the tough questions. Because if you see on the continent, no brand wants to talk, associate itself with gender-based violence. Nobody wants to talk about alcoholism. Nobody wants to talk about rape. Nobody wants to talk about police brutality. Then what really are you doing for the people, right? You have to be able to take a stand on something. So I focus now a lot more on social cause marketing and my strategy works on that because I've been gifted. I tell people that after the brain stroke, I think my brain got wired and something happened. And I, I feel very blessed that I'm able to see very far, way beyond what others do. The biggest question I'd like to ask you is the power of understanding yourself and how that defines your pathway in life. It's crucial because Help me understand this. when when you and you use that word authenticity, everything comes from the space of authenticity, and that's where integrity also comes into play, isn't it? Only when you're authentic to yourself, to what you do, to what you're trying to drive, can everything else that emanates from you be authentic in itself. So I know myself very well. Um, I know my good. I know my bad. 
I know um, when I'm being manipulative. I know when I'm being um, dishonest with myself or whatever. I know my fears. I know my greatness. But what I do is everything has to come from a space of compassion. It has to come from a space of compassion in whatever I do, whether it's dealing with staff, whether it's dealing, I mean, if I tell you right now, today I drove myself here. And the only reason I have done that is because my driver for the last three months has been having a challenge because his mother's been hospitalized. So I noticed he was taking his salary like in advance. So I was like, why are you doing that? And he said, oh, madame, you know, da, da, da. So I asked him, because I just moved recently from uh, where I used to stay. And I said, where is it easier for you to come to for you not to use too much fuel? Is it at the old house or the current? Because I still have, um, you know, my business partner living at the old house. And he said, oh, madame, it's actually easier for me to go to the old house. So I said, you know what, from today, I don't need you to drive me. I'll continue to pay your salary, but you go to the old house and, you know, you drive because I need to think about what, what is the pain that he has. And strategy is always about understanding the pain point, what is troubling you, and that's how I come in with a solution for it. I mean, this is just a simple thing um, that I look. So it comes from a space of compassion. And when you understand yourself, and that means you're being compassionate with yourself, you look at the world also with the eyes of compassion. In the, in the selection of the, the components of emotional intelligence that has been highlighted as one of the key things a leader must have, in there is empathy. Yeah. And I connect empathy to the point you just made about compassion. They literally are cousins with yes. the same name. Absolutely. Different names, but the same, it's the it's same, the same thing. The, the, the same thing. come from within. And I, th I know I did a recent assessment of myself and I was doing, and I came out to be an empath. We have challenges as empaths because people take advantage of empaths. But the beauty about that is we are the kind of people you can do whatever it is. You can hurt us as many times as you want. We will still want to look in for the good. But at one point, obviously, we do reach a certain threshold and then <laughs> we'll just show you the door and tell you which way to go. But I think the world needs um, empathy and we need to put ourselves in people's shoes. And like you rightly said, EQ has become, has been always the biggest thing, but now we're seeing SQ playing a bigger role because when human thinks they have become God, then they want to take everything else and greed and all, and then you, compassion just doesn't exist. So SQ is now becoming a big player. This is Springboard, your virtual university. My guest today, the CEO of the African brand warrior, Fatima Ali Mohammed. Recently voted as CEO of the year, helping us to understand the values, the foundations, the principles of her life. Let's go for a break. When we come back, let me find out what does she do as African brand warrior, the firm, the business, the entity, what did they do? And what are her interests in the corporate world? Also find out in terms of strategy, what should we be doing differently if we want to rise up and shine in a very turbulent world? Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group with media support from the multimedia group and the graphic business. Please don't go away. Doing. Doing gets you learning. Learning starts you wondering. Wondering triggers thinking. Thinking becomes planning. Planning evolves to trying. After trying, you're succeeding, winning, owning now doing that starts with outdoing your limits outdo them all with mtn so what are we doing today
Mama looked very peaceful. I was completely amazed when I saw her neatly presented. She looked just like she was sleeping. You haven't seen anything yet, my brother. You should have seen the care and quality treatment they gave her at Transitions. Eh? One man, one room, just like a five-star hotel. Wow. And not only that, we had a dedicated person to guide the family through the funeral planning process. Are you sure? Of course. From picking her up to when we lowered grandma down, everything was completely stress-free. They had all the needed funeral services, caskets, hairs, chapel, and so much more. <laughs> this one, dear, no family fights after all. I'm so happy we made a right decision to use transitions. With transitions, your loved one gets the best of care while the family enjoys a stress-free funeral planning process. Call us now on 0302-634-706. And no. Did I tell you they are affordable? Transitions, the funeral people. Welcome back to Springboard Adventure Investing. My name is Albert Okran, and I have the privilege today of hanging out with Fatima Ali Mohammed, CEO of Africa, founder and CEO of African Brand Warrior, recently voted as CEO of the year, trying to unpack the story of her life, learnings, her values, and her outlook on life. Very, very interesting conversation so far. Brought to you by the Springboard Racial Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse Enterprise Group with media support from the multimedia group and the graphic business. On Tuesday, find the story in full page in the graphic business and learn the, the, the useful lessons that Fatima is sharing with us openly, telling a very beautiful story. Fatima, why African brand warrior? I, I like the name warrior. I know. <laughs> but like I said, you know, I just one day... Uh, woke up, there were certain things that I was not comfortable with um, on the corporate side. And uh, yeah, I had to make a decision. I was also beginning to feel that I, you know, when you're not, when you wake up and you're not happy to go to work, then that is a problem. Then that means there's something just not sitting right with you. Um, I resigned and um, Sometimes I think, what a mistake, because you have a set income at the end of the month. It's right. very different when you go on your own. And um, I sat there and I was toying around and I said, you know what? I have built number one brands across the world. Um, if you, I don't know how much you know of why I even came to Ghana. I came here to set up Frytol. So Frytol is my baby. I take full credit for it. I moved here to take it over from Unilever. Um, I did the whole rebranding, you know, initially when we came, it was a, 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 an oil that looked like brake fluid, dark brown, it was selling in white jerry cans. I came and changed the whole thing. And I did that single-handedly. So um, let the organization not say there was a team or anything. I, I ran that on my own. And then later we had teams coming on board. Um, and it came again from that space. I went to first understand what was happening in the market and I realized that Ghanaians as men love to cook more. For women, it is the norm, but men have a thing about cooking and you know carrying themselves in that way. So my first advert was actually of a man cooking. I broke the stereotypeness of women, number one. Number two, I remember at the time, what was also important was, I remember at the time asking uh, the previous brand owners, why the name Frightall? And they're like, it's just a name. Now you do not create brands without having a reason for, for the name and whatever. So I went into the market, started seeing, and I saw people using it for making fish, frying fish, frying plantain, 
chicken, you name it, everything was being fried in it, including shito, you know, as we're making it. So I said, okay, fry it all, fry it all. And then I was like, fry it all. Mm. That's exactly what it is. And Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Before we knew it, it took off. It worked amazingly well. Um, by the time I was leaving, uh, having worked with the brand was uh, 80% market share. And then I just sat and I said, okay, I need to do something on my own because I think if I have that caliber, you're only being paid for what you are doing as an employee, but you can do so much more in helping other brands. Um, Warrior came in, obviously coming in from Kenya, you know, where the land of the Maasai, you can see my red hair. It represents, you know, the, the battlefield, but not for bloodshed, but you know, that's the representation. Um, it's a color of passion for what I do. African because that's who I am and brand that's what I do and I realized more so in West Africa unlike East Africa is that West Africa depends on imports a lot and we're mentally uh, set up to think that the further away something comes from the better it is you know mm. so bring it in from China or bring it from Australia bring it from wherever but we do not love our own brands Having then gone into it, I realized that the issue was not that we don't love our own brands, it's because when we're producing for ourselves, we take a shortcut and we try to give ourselves um, the, the lowest of look, image, feel. But when we're exporting it to America, even basics like sheer butter, we make sure, you know, gold foiled packaging, proper names, the kind of quality and, and uh, the scents we put in. But when we're selling to our own, we don't do that. So that's where I felt there's an opportunity now to deal with not just corporates, mainly SMEs. And I'm now working with a lot of SMEs, uh, obviously with different projects and trying to take it from that angle that how can I help them to be able to better their brands and what they're trying to sell locally and internationally. So one of the areas that I'm now intentionally focusing on, and obviously it's because of the different projects I work with, with different hubs, is more in the area of the SMEs, the startups, because I feel there's just a lot more potential there. The problem is they don't know how to do it. Nobody's able to, you know, everybody comes in with a huge fee and tell you that we can do X, Y, Z. So I want to be able to do practical things and show people in a practical way how they can be able to make that difference. So I've been working, I've been pulled in for a lot of projects. I mean, there was another one we did in Senegal with a friend, Anatu, and you know, helping women in the cosmetic industry and literally going to places where people haven't gone and showcasing what is it that they can do? What are the what are the ingredients that they have in their markets that are unique and how can we take that and, and, and leverage? I had the privilege of traveling to Morocco and and interacting with the women who were doing cosmetics, argan oil, mm -hmm. and looking at the global size of the market. market is I huge. was yes. literally shocked what we're doing as corporates and the market yes. share that they had in the global market for argan oil but you know it's interesting argan oil just speak it is only uh it's probably five six years old uh, you know how the cosmetic industry works it's all based on uh trends so all of a sudden it's this oil then in the next minute it's share and the the first world x all surprised oh my god this is such a great thing hello we've been having it in the continent I know. you're like now the biggest thing is Moringa. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I know about Moringa since I was a kid. 
So it's it's interesting how they become they find things um, as they go and they get discovered. But we've had this, so and that's where we need to capitalize on. Exactly it. the point I was going to come to. So how do we build a bridge between what we have that is so good? And that point where the world wakes up to see, ah, this is it. How do we intentionally that's create that, that aha moment? That's ex that aha moment is, um, for example, the biggest challenge I think we have as a continent is that we always look at, I know we say African problems, African solutions, but when you know that you're going to be dealing with international markets or even say, I mean, I always am a firm believer, first sell to the 1.4 billion people on the continent before you go and sell it out. Now, the question then comes in, do we understand global trends and global um, impacts and the challenges that are happening and what is happening on that front and how it impacts us? Because today, I mean, again, you know, with you being an open university, the kind of knowledge, I mean, digital media, social media is exposing so much to the youth. And one thing we need to move away from, I mean, I'm 50 and I keep saying, you know, I, I never thought at one point I'm going to say, oh, I'm one of those people that I thought at, at a younger age, they're old. But the people we should be investing in are the youth, the younger generation, because we have certain set ways. We have defined what we can do and what we're okay with. The younger generation has so much going for them because they can try five different hustles. And if let's say out of that three fail, two will at least work, right? At my age, your age, we're not willing to try something new because if we lose those funds, we lose it and trying to catch up and get it back becomes difficult. That being said, how does the international trends play a role? So if we know now the first world is actually being driven by the youth, the youth are deciding, you know, what they're okay with, what they're not like, you know, the current war that is going on, you're seeing it's actually the younger generation that is going out. And in the past years, everybody's been quiet, but the current generation is going and speaking up and they're taking matters in their hand. If you look at what was happening in terms of the African continent, what you know happened with Niger and all that, you're seeing it's a younger generation that is driving the agenda. How does that impact us? What does it mean? The younger generation wants organic stuff. The younger generation wants things that are authentic. The Africa, Afrocentric people are trying to tie in with uh, you know uh, aspects of being African. If you look at Ghana, for example, look at Nigeria, look at what's happening in Kenya, we're finding that the younger generation prefers to use their local names now. They don't want to use English names. They want to be seen with their natural hair. Everybody's got, you know, a look in terms of wearing their kente or African print. So we've become so Africanized. But the question then comes in, are we then also willing to patronize African brands? So we've done some part. Now we need to move to the next level and say, okay, how can we drive this? Because you find the patronage more when you're in the UK or the US. Oh my, you know, this is my product from Ghana. I love to use it. But the, you find it better when you're away from home than when we're at home because we take it for granted. What should we do to drive that local demand for what we have? Is I think packaging, is a one's obviously government is policy. Communication? Okay. Government policy is crucial, but at the same time, uh, government has to be an enabler, right? So there's one thing about saying putting policy, but also ensure that, you know, we're able, do we have the infrastructure? You know, because that's one of the biggest challenges we have. How are you able to move something, let's say from Tamale all the way to here? How can we move something from Bolgatanga here without having to worry about the roads, you know, uh, worry about the cost of fuel? All these things play a huge role and we're not competitive on that front. And today a Ghanaian is in a situation where to have one meal a day is now a privilege. I mean, look at the cost of Wache, you know, just simple like things. It. I mean, 
that's what you'd everyone have. I mean, I'm more of a fan of groundnut soup more than anything else. But when you look at it, even now when I, I when I came to Ghana, it's the first time I got introduced to Kofi Brookman. And that is one thing I can eat every day going. Now I understand why it was called Kofi Brookman, but now it's no longer for it's the no longer for the book. Yeah, that's it. So policies really are crucial in driving the agenda. Let's talk about agribusiness. You you have significant footprints in that space. By default. Tell me about how you got in there and what prospects there are for the year. I mean, obviously, I was working for uh, Wilma Africa, the Freital um, brand. And uh, um, in that area, the palm plantation in Ghana was part of the area. So we had to have a representative at the Association of Ghana Industries at the time. And I ended up being the person in this. So before I knew it, I got pulled into that. I sit on the cotton board um, of Ghana um, on the sheer uh, part. I was on the sheer alliance at the time. So I got involved in a lot of it. So it's by default. I'm not a farmer. But again, I said it's all about strategy. It's about understanding markets. It's about understanding consumption. So one thing that I take pride in and credit for is that I come in with very simplistic solutions to things because you've got to look at things from that perspective. I mean, how is it that we are a continent and still having people living under a dollar a day and we have hunger as one of our biggest challenges? I mean, when we talk about the recent Ukraine-Russia um, war, we were so dependent on flour coming in from outside, yet we grow cassava here, we grow millet here. I mean, it's yam. And you can produce flour from each one of these things. So if there's anything that we should have learned during the COVID period, is that all our solutions are within the border. They're not outside. I mean, we thought the world was shutting down. We're not going to, I mean, during COVID, one kg of onions was more expensive than one liter of fuel, you know, which is a crime, yet onions is what we have to consume and eat every single day in everything. So did we learn from it? Have we decided to invest more in agriculture? Do we do dehydrated foods? What is it that we're doing to make sure that we're food secure if we were ever put into a situation again? Which will happen because I'm sure uh, one of the things you guys at the university might have been reading or have been looking into, and I'm sure with yourself, uh, you know, especially the 15-minute cities. 15-minute cities is what is going to make all of us prisoners within a 15-minute confinement. What does that mean? What are we doing to be able to make sure that we're not controlled, you know, by, by, by cameras and controlled in terms of movements. Um, we're talking about the world moving away from cash to digital. What does that mean for us in Africa? We are people who like to go to the open air market here, take two CDs, two, five CDs. How does that work? What does that mean? So we're getting so um, excited about innovation and new ideas, but we don't understand the implication it means in terms of us being controlled. So there's a, another conversation that has to be had in that space and also specifically with the agric, when you talk about digital, and this is a question that I asked on a recent panel, because it was all about how digitalization is excellent for agric, and I'm like, really, is it? Who holds this information? Where is it sitting? Who's the custodian of this information? It's not none of us, none of us. It's sitting with somebody who then looks at the data, mines it, and says, hmm, because I say data is data, but data needs to be converted to information, information to intelligence. So there's somebody sitting there looking at this data and saying, hmm, this particular area in Ghana, 
I can see there's this many population, da da da. Let's quickly push in a product of fertilizer that can do. Let's push in GMO because they have a long-term strategy. Because once you start using GMO um, seeds, then you have to continue using the GMO chemicals. And then GMO also means that it also has a certain lifespan. Then you've got to change to something else because the soil cannot continue to take it. So it hurts me when things get done and it hurts our own people. So I'm like, why are we not using... I mean, Ghana, for example, had the best mines on the continent. We've always looked at Ghanaians to know that. My God, not it's not about eloquence, but the intelligence level. Why are we not challenging? Is the voices not being heard? You know, uh, is our noise levels not sufficient? We are insecure as a people when it comes to food security. What are we doing about it? What can we do about it? So Fatima, in terms of food security, what, what must we do differently? I'll tell you why I'm concerned, because every indicator, everybody who watches can predict that should nothing happen, there will be a food crisis. I think we already are in a food crisis. Well, that, there we go. I mean, it's a reality. Right, so what should uh, we do differently? We need to start taking agriculture seriously. I mean, from the time I moved here to where we're at right now, Ghana has grown leaps and bounds, but I think we're becoming more of a jungle, concrete jungle, than we are becoming a greener environment. The biggest challenge first is to have the youth, you know, there's this thing about urban and rural. And one of the things that I say that within the urban there's a rural and within the rural there's an urban. I mean, think of a minister, for example, you know, um, he may have a house in the urban, five bedroom, seven bedroom house, but right next to him, you're going to find somebody who's living like in a shanty, you know, iron corrugated sheets. So they coexist. Or you might find a kiosk where that same seven bedroom house person who can actually afford to go to certain supermarkets is actually going to the kiosk to buy the nano milk, buy, you know, um, drinking chocolate or whatever. You go to the rural area where people are supposed to be living, uh, you know, amidst poverty, you find another minister's house, five bedroom, but he's still surviving. He's, he's got water, he's got electricity, he's got genset. So what's the difference between the two areas? So we're finding people shifting and migrating from the rural area to the urban because they think that the grass is greener at this side. I say the grass is greener wherever you carry your watering can, right? So what we need to do is are two important things. First, the farmer generation we have in Ghana is a dying generation in terms of age right they have a wealth of knowledge a farmer here i keep saying it all the time is able to put his finger in the air and he's going to be able to tell you which way the wind is coming from is it going to rain he's able to put his finger in the soil and he's going to be able to tell you whether it's dry whether it's nutrient dense or not who is downloading this information who is taking this information from this older generation to create it into something whereas then you have the youth who don't find agriculture sexy enough they want a quick money they're not people like you and i who have said let's store, let's work hard, let's work in a job, you know, before we start doing something of our own. They want to make it quick. They want to be able to be, they want, their success factor is, I want to be able to have a house, I want to have a car, I want to have this much dollars, I want to be able to dress well. And they want it in the shortest span of time. So the solution here is, you have this generation that is dying with all this information, and then you have the youth who are tech savvy, they have a passion for, uh, you know, anything that's digital. How can we get them to find agriculture sexy enough, let's show them, give them the skills to understand that. Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? 
Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Let's use the knowledge that you have of technology, download it from the older generation, and can you make it better? You know, what is it that we can do back in the rural areas to now take that, that knowledge and, and drive it differently? It's not about concessions. I mean, already I keep saying that when government gives um, fertilizers, you know, upfront to farmers, they get a bumper harvest, but then there's nobody to buy it. So why don't we do it the other way around and say the concession that we're giving you on the fertilizer, let's give it to you on the price at the end of the season. Let's drop the prices in such a way that everybody in Ghana can afford it. You know, it's, it's a more about margin versus volume and you play in the volume game. Let's talk about the role of mentoring. How big is mentoring as a game changer in inspiring young people to? It is crucial. I mean, that's what I'm here to do. The, the role that we have, I think this is the gift that has been put upon us to ensure that we share whatever we have, because we have experience. It comes in, I mean, and I don't belittle somebody who might be 19 or 25. They also have their sets of experiences. But it's important to understand that a journey is not just a matter of few steps, it's a thousand steps. So it should be incumbent upon all of us to be able to share whatever little that we know, whatever little bit of wisdom that we have. And if it can help somebody else in Islam, you know, we have one of the things that we say is called Sadaq al which means that when you leave this world, there's certain things, I mean, your, your, your payment, your books of accounts with this world has ended but there are certain things that will continue to give you pointers after you're gone and those things are uh, impart of knowledge and education did you impart any knowledge of education that is also going to because of that knowledge somebody else is going to benefit because remember it gets transferred by by generations you know did you build a well and give water because every time that person drinks water then they have life and because of them having life they're able to work and give somebody else so there are various things but one of them is actually knowledge what knowledge are you giving one of our companies is called legacy and legacy and that is the whole idea behind it that you must make a you must leave a legacy, legacy. immediately but there must, be, there must be something that should outlive you and you are saying that that should either be the knowledge you impart yes or the building it's like they say you know the wells. tree the seed that you plant you don't know it may be a shade that you will never sit under Growing up, I told myself that 100 years after I've gone, somebody must read something I've written and say, wow. I keep saying 100 years from now, there'll be people living in our houses that we never knew who are not even related to us. Yeah. If we get remembered, then that's going to be a big, big thing. Let me sign up with your message to the young people that you've mentioned quite a few times in this conversation. And look in this camera, tell them, what, what would you like to tell them? Fatima, speaking to them heart to heart, soul to soul tell them what you want to tell them my message to the younger generation is you've been given a gift you have a gift of life you have so many years ahead of you i want you to go out there with no fear i am fearless um i have done a lot of things in life without having to think about the consequences and i've just done it and so far i haven't had a reason to regret a lot of times the biggest challenge that comes for the youth, you know, and especially people going into entrepreneurship or whatever else is where do we get the funds, where do we get the money uh, to do this because that becomes the biggest challenge to be able to go forward. The first thing is count within your inner circle. 
the money is always within your inner circle before you go out, you know, uh, from that. So whether it's your family, your friends, but be clear about what it is you want to achieve. And the first thing that you must do is identify the problem because everything that you do in life has to be a solution to a problem. So once you believe that you have the answer to that problem, then go in with conviction. And that is one thing that I take um, in my journey is the conviction that I have to be able to say, I'm going to do this and go forward with it. But at the same time, morals and values are key. Success does not necessarily have to be in the tangibles, in wearing the branded items, um, driving the branded cars, um, because all that is just money that you're putting to waste when you could actually invest it into something um, better. So there will be a day when you can want to wear the Rolex, you know, of whatever, you, to drive the Jaguars. For now, invest that money into things that are more for needs versus wants. Wants are about luxury. Needs are what is going to keep you going. So all I can say is go in there, give it your best shot. And remember, if you fail seven times, you can still stand up eight. There is no um, right or wrong way to anything. Just go in and give it your best. Fatima Ali Mohammed, CEO of African Brand Warrior, and the red hair, the red hair. and the Kenyan <laughs> descent. It's been nice talking with you, and I've learned so it's much from listening to you. You're a great storyteller. Thank have you, you. Have you talked about writing? I have, actually. I just recently wrote a book. Um, well, it's co-authored with others, but I'm also writing one of my own right now. Um, yeah, so I've done, I've done two so far. You started by telling me you're not a dreamer. One thing I can tell you is that you love the life you live and you are living the life you love. I can't, I don't have a choice, do I? It's not like an, it's an option. So until it's not time for me to go, you just wake up and do what you need to do. One thing you said in the course of the conversation that struck me as this, the state of many people is that you wake up going to do a job you don't love. Yeah. That was, that was tight. That was tough. And it is it's, true. It's reality. That is the reality for a lot of people. It's because they've been put in a situation where they've got to put food on the table. And no, and we become a society where we try to pull each other down. I mean, I've been in situations where people have tried to take food off my plate. But at the end of the day, you know, we have a God. I always believe that the people who are oppressed is, and that's what we say in, in our faith, is that there is no veil between them and the Almighty. Um, so everything that is given to you is your portion. It's destined for you. Nobody can come and take away from you. So just go in there and that's why I said do, it's not about doing what you love, but loving what you do. Because once you start loving what you do, everything else just falls in place. I love listening. I enjoy it. Thanks for making time for this Thank conversation. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So let's let's continue this conversation on our social media platforms. Which of the thoughts that Fatima shared resonated with you? Was it her conviction? Was it was it a clarion call for young people to go out there with their solution to the challenges they see around them? Was it the reminder that she's fearless? Which of the things she said resonated with you the most? Let's keep this conversation going on social media. And don't forget to find these thoughts liberally shared on our social media pages as well as in the graphic business. This has been Springboard, your virtual university brought to you by the Springboard Racial Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse and the Enterprise Group. Our media partners as always, the Multimedia Group, 
and the graphic business. My name is Albert Okran. Seeing a big thank you to you, Fatima Ali Mohammed, for joining us for this conversation. Let's do this again. For sure. Anytime. Absolutely. I have an open mind for anything that just come. Absolutely. So till we come your way again next week, this is Albert saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. Doing. Doing gets you learning. Learning starts you wondering. Wondering triggers thinking. Thinking becomes planning. Planning evolves to trying. After trying, you're succeeding, winning, owning. Now, doing that starts with outdoing your limits. Outdo them all with MTN. So, what are we doing today? Grandma looked very peaceful. I was completely amazed when I saw her neatly presented. She looked just like she was sleeping. You haven't seen anything yet, my brother. You should have seen the care and quality treatment they gave her at Transitions. Eh. One man, one room, just like a five-star hotel. Wow. And not only that, we had a dedicated person to guide the family through the funeral planning process. Are you sure? Of course. From picking her up to when we lowered grandma down, everything was completely stress-free. They had all the needed funeral services, caskets, hairs, chapel, and so much more. This one, dear, no family fights after all. I'm so happy we made the right decision to use Transitions. With Transitions, your loved one gets the best of care while the family enjoys a stress-free funeral planning process. Call us now on 0302-634-706. And oh, did I tell you they are affordable? Transitions, the funeral people. viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.